This is Sean M. Doyle, the author of Shift, 19 Practical Business-Driven Ideas for an Executive in Charge of Marketing, but not trained for the task. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover the smartest ideas behind what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in. Just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018 in Cleveland this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is a wonderful event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm going to be leading the workshop Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. For details, go to contentmarketingworld.com and for the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock one $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of his drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Sean M. Doyle to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Shift, 19 Practical Business-Driven Ideas for an Executive in Charge of Marketing, but Not Trained for the Task, published by Rockbench. Sean is co-founder, principal, and director of strategy for Fitzmartin Incorporated, a B2B sales and marketing consultancy that helps mid-sized companies solve their most pressing challenges. And interesting fact, he is a motorcyclist and is the owner of a Suzuki V-Strom <laughs> 650. Sean, congratulations on Shift and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Doug. And uh, even though you have a Harley, we can keep talking. <laughs> maybe later today. I'm, I'm, I'm off to uh, maybe buy one. At any rate, I should state for the listener that you are originally from Pennsylvania, but you live in the great state of Alabama, where your humble host was born. Because you live in Alabama, I live in Virginia, there are a couple things that we are going to talk about that are in your book that are uh, two of the things that make America great. And I'm not talking about the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. I'm talking about NASCAR and Elvis. <laughs> uh, this may be a, a very boring interview. I, I really don't know anything about either of those. <laughs> not important. Neither do I. That's good. <laughs> now, this book, I, I just got to tell you, I can't conceal my excitement. This is, book was uh, 177 pages, and I think it's the slowest read I've had of any book that size. And the reason why is because I was reading it so carefully because 
I loved this book, and I haven't been this personally excited about a book like that's been on the podcast, meaning that I, I want to take action on behalf of like my business and do a lot of the things in the book to help clients since I read David C. Baker's book, The Business of Expertise, and Small World. He's also uh, the publisher of, at Rockbench. But this was very exciting, and I, I have to tell you, I learned about this book when I went to David Baker's Lead Generation and Positioning Summit in Nashville, and he was talking about all the different aspects of lead generation for a you know, marketing firm like you and I have, and professional services for creative firms. And at one point, he was talking about publishing a book. And he talked about not just his company, but all the other publishing companies. And he held up some of them. He held up some of the ones from Rockbench, like Smart Marketing for Engineers by Rebecca Geyer. And then he held up yours, and he read the title, and there must have been 50 agency people in the room. And everyone loved the title, like, holy cow, I have got to get that book because that's describing my client. Or, you know, it describes so many people that aren't trained for marketing, but yet go into it. So I was very excited to be able to read this. And a lot of the information for me was sort of a an affirmation. But what was really, really interesting for me was watching how you explained things. In other words, some of the same things that we explain to clients and prospects all the time, the way you explained it, that was absolutely terrific. So if we could step back, tell us the story of how this book came to be. Oh, I'd love to. I, You know, there's, there's, there's so much to talk about uh, in marketing and sales, and it's a rich subject, but it's such a misunderstood subject. And one of the things now that I'm in my 50s, uh, I've decided is I just want to help people be successful. You don't have to hire me. Hire Douglas, hire your firm, hire uh, other agencies. But this, I wanted to write something and create a video series where I could equip the small to mid-sized business executives that I've worked most of my life with, with the skills that they needed, the knowledge, a framework, the basics, so that they can be successful. Most agency people, if you ask them, oh, who do you work with? You know, we're going to name the big ones. I'd, I would say, oh, I've worked with Georgia Pacific. I've worked with BBVA. And I'd name the big, you know, trying to thump my chest and, and impress you with how wonderful I am. But the reality of my life is I've probably spent more time working with that 1 million with 10 FTEs, the, the 25 FTE company with 5 million in sales, up up into the 100 million 200 employee size companies. And those are very different companies. That small to mid-sized business company doesn't have the, the Harvard-educated executive C-suite team. And, and typically, the owner or the principal of a family-held company is the person who ends up being in charge of marketing because nobody else can. Nobody else knows how to. And the, that owner, that principal, uh, gets it, gets the vision of their company really well. Nobody can know it better. In fact, uh, I'm reminded of a, one of my heroes through the years has been Bill Bernbach. He was known for carrying an index card in his jacket pocket that said, roughly, paraphrased, said, shut up, listen, the client might know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know? That's right. These clients, they all know what they're talking about, but they never seem to be equipped. Well, never is a strong word. Should never say that, right? But they were not equipped frequently 
with a framework or a way to understand what it is marketing does and how to leverage it as a business tool. Right. So right. Think of, yeah. You know, have you have you experienced that where you see the the small business that could get so much out of leveraging marketing, but they don't know what it is. Yes, and that's why particularly the introduction to your book just got me so fired up because, as I like to say, sometimes I think I'm taking crazy pills, and it's like your book became um, sort of a support group for me. <laughs> like it's and, and, and to explain that, I want to ask you to explain what are some of the common and incorrect assumptions about marketing that, that you've encountered in your in your years in the business. Oh, well, I would pick on a, a man who's now a friend of mine. He was a client CEO of a small tech uh, company, and he once at lunch kept asking me questions and, and giving me direction of things to do. And I finally said, Harvey, wh what do you think I do for a living? And uh, he looked at me with this dead seriousness, said, you put lipstick on a pig. And I was, I was somewhere between really angry and um, and frustrated and and glad that I finally understood why it uh, why it was that I was unable to contribute and how I couldn't add value. And in fact, I I built a sheet called uh, CMO job description or roles, and it's on my website seanmdoyle.com. It's free download, and I built this sheet designed solely to give an executive a vision of what marketing should cover. And I wanted to rattle Harvey's cage and more positively help other executives get a broader view of marketing. For example, do you think of marketing as doing the ads and the supporting of sales? Yeah, probably you do. Get the website done, get the brochure done. But do you think about it in terms of government relations? What about using PR in marketing in product development? Do you think about voice of the customer programs that can inform the design of your communications, but maybe even more so inform the design of your products and services? Mm -hmm. Those are roles that most of these SMB companies don't think about marketing. That net result is they hire the younger, less experienced craft person. And, and I, you like me, Respect craft. Craft is important. By craft, I mean art direction and writing and um, the web design. I, craft is critical and it has to be done well. But the way I wanted to see, the way I want to inspire executives of small to mid-sized businesses to work is to use marketing as a lever to grow their businesses in a way that's more powerful than they possibly can. And if they'll open their eyes and see marketing in a broader spectrum, then everything will change. That's and right. They'll, they'll and so you talk about how a lot of companies will see marketing as uh, a cash drain on their business. Ugh. And you say that it's, it is a cost if it's not done well. And you talk about, they'll <laughs> say uh, marketing is not you know, worth the attention or effort. And the one that I see a lot is they think marketing is about making things look pretty. Or as I like to say, Ugh. they refer, they think of marketers as arts and crafts party planners. But I want to ask you to explain this one concept that Again, there's so many things from your book I'm stealing, Sean, but one of them is this 80-20 rule, and it's not really the 80-20 rule your most listeners are, are familiar with, but you talk about this 80-20 rule versus 10 years ago. Can you, can you explain that in terms of the, the transformation that's happened? Absolutely. Great question. The shift that's occurred, and, and Doug, I'm not pointing out your age or your gray hair, but <laughs> you know we've seen some things change, and if you're, well, let's just say if you're over... 50, certainly, maybe even if you're over 40, you've seen the world of sales change. And 
largely you point to the internet and that's the 80-20 that I'm referring to. And that's today, 80% of your leads and your clients are going to see you online, maybe even purchase from you online. And that's obviously a radical change. So perhaps at the surface, that sounds fairly obvious. But what happens in so many businesses, I see this so often, and, and I, I always encourage my client to explore this and map out if this is happening in their businesses now. The way things were set up 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the sales culture, the sales team in the communications department of a business had control of all the information. Well, wow, the internet absolutely changed all of that. There are still businesses that act like they control the information, and those are the ones that are going to begin to fail, if not already have failed. The power has shifted to the hands of the consumer. And I mean, can you remember that shift, Doug, as you saw that? Yeah, I can remember my dad would buy a car. He had to go to the dealership to start getting information. A couple of years ago, when my wife wanted to buy a car. I, the dealership was the last place she went. As a matter of fact, she went and did a test drive out of town, so she didn't have to deal with the same salesperson. Oh, and, you know, man. she she, inter- she researched it extensively and went on social and, and had every, all the information she needed. And she actually knew more about the car she wanted than the poor guy trying to sell it to her. <laughs> My dad had the same experience, uh, and he uh, turns eighty this year. He actually bought a car and had it delivered to his house. You know, so that's an incredible shift. And so there's somebody on the the listening to the podcast right now going, yeah, but I'm an attorney or I'm an architect or I'm in professional services or. But our customers don't go online to search. That's what I'll say. Right. Right. Well, the reason the, the Internet is so powerful is anonymity. I can, you just mentioned it, right? Your wife didn't want to talk to the salespeople. They, she had the power and she wanted anonymity. Now, there are opportunities, and this has actually been perhaps the survival of the trade show uh, in the B2B world. I can still go touch something and maybe escape the salespeople if you don't put your card in the fishbowl. But you, know, you can still get that insight online. You can read what other people are saying, and that's unfiltered because marketers like us are not going to publish the negative reviews, but there's businesses dedicated to speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, you can go find that now. That's That's been the change. So the research is showing 80% of your people are going to go online, maybe not even to your site. They may never even see your homepage. If they do go to your site, they may go directly to a product service page because that's the way Google's delivering information. They don't care about your homepage. They want to deliver you to the page where the most information that's relevant to your search is. That might be a second or third tier page. Well, so you've just got to think about all these things and the, that that pinch point is occurring because of anonymity. It's typically early in the framework of the buying and selling journey, and it's out of your control. So you need to participate. You've just got to participate. There's one part in the book where you talk about, um, I think before you all engage with a company, you want to find out what that company's sales philosophy is. 
and you say it's like one of two things. One is the sales force drives the buyer journey, and the other is the customer's in charge. <laughs> what, exactly. what, what do you mean there? Oh, you know, there's there's just some old geezers like you and me that are still in charge of the you know sales team somewhere. Hey, Sean, I just got to interject here. I just got to interject. <laughs> You're only young okay. once, but you can be immature forever. Please go ahead. <laughs> well played. Uh, it's not, and it's not just the older SVPs of sales. You know, I, I refer to a, a chapter of the book. I refer to a an article that defines salesmen as sales weasels. I say that tongue in cheek, and it offends some people. Usually, the ones that maybe it reflects. But <laughs> you know, the idea is not that salespeople are bad at all. But there's, and I would actually boil it down maybe to two different models. There's selling as helping, and there's selling as manipulation, mm-hmm. and I grew up and my role was to sell. And I went to all the sales classes. I won't name them here, but you would know them Mm -hmm. and you may have even attended them. And I just had, you know, I had my cassette tapes and I popped them in my cassette player as I drove to the sales call and I'd recite the things they told me to recite. Yeah, you know that, you know the routine. Mm -hmm. And I hated myself. I hated it because I was, I realized later the word I was looking for was manipulation. Mm Mm-hmm. And once I was introduced to selling as helping and given the idea that, and this is another way often the SMB world doesn't think about marketing, with positioning comes power. Marketing is in charge of your positioning. So if your sales force doesn't have power, you really don't have a sales problem. What the sales force is going to have to do without power is manipulate or commoditize, lower your pricing. If you, marketing is properly leveraged, you can find positioning. It might be narrower, but with narrowness becomes power to charge more. Mm. With narrowness becomes relevance, right? So I, the small business owner wants to get all the business. It's just not reality. Yeah. In fact, I, I was driving down Third uh, Avenue in Birmingham, and I was thinking about this exact subject, and there was at the at the traffic light there was a, a truck dealership, a car dealership, a vehicle dealership, I should say, across the corner from the stoplight. And I noticed everything on that lot was a truck. And then the obvious other conclusion was every single truck was white. And I looked at the name of the dealership, and it said "Work Trucks." And then I looked at the subtitle, and it said "We're All About Trucks." Like, that's brilliant. Yeah. This is a company that's specialized, and now they are relevant. So I could buy a white Ford pickup truck at a Ford dealer. I could buy it online, or I could go to a specialist in trucks that would understand my need as a company that needed a specific type of truck, and I might discover some expertise there. I'm probably going to go look, right? They took a highly commoditized, highly, highly competitive industry and had the guts through marketing to narrow into this relevant niche. Yeah, that's great. It echoed a little bit some of the uh, similar concepts from uh, the Business of Expertise by David Baker that I mentioned earlier. So I promised the listener we were going to talk about NASCAR, and I want I, I just love this analogy. One of the many reasons I like your book so much is because one of my favorite subjects is the intersection of marketing and sales and getting marketing and sales to align. And this book delivers that many times over. And I was wondering if you could explain the NASCAR analogy. And for those folks listening in, you know, internationally, this applies to uh, Formula One, the relationship of marketing to sales as it relates to a, a racing team. 
The NASCAR analogy is beautiful, and, and but let me interrupt also and say that Birmingham has a very unique uh, location uh, at the Barber Motorsports Track. And if you love motorcycles, George Barber, who owns it, privately held track and museum. He has the world's greatest, largest collection of motorcycles, and it's in a Smithsonian-quality building and the barber racetrack is one of the finest in the country it's compared often with laguna so nascar is important but i also say the same analogy would apply to uh, two wheels uh, and you should right. explore birmingham uh, it's a great uh, yes i'm a fan of birmingham it's a and great place this episode of the marketing book podcast is brought to you by alabama tourism <laughs> that's an account i should get um, <laughs> right there the nascar analogy came from an actual experience on the track at talladega and we were uh, brought probably from the Chamber of Commerce and put in a car and we got to ride with an actual NASCAR rider. And we zipped up out of the pit and uh, you know got up there and we were cruising along at I don't know, some crazy speed, high hundreds, 180 or so. And I asked the guy, he was just very relaxed and comfortable, of course. And there's you know three of us with our jaws hanging going, this is amazing. I said, can you get up to the wall? He said, sure. Now, he did put both hands on the steering wheel at that point, <laughs> and he drove us right up he to the edge. He was checking his smartphone while he was doing this. <laughs> exactly. He was texting. No, we went right up to the wall. And by right, I mean, we were 12 inches maybe off that wall doing right at 200 miles per hour. And I was thinking, this guy is so comfortable. He is so in charge. And he knows every bit of the track the car, the fuel. He knew the limits of the tires. He knew what we could do. I mean, he he just knew it all. And that really is very similar, I think, to the way a salesperson, a good salesperson should work. But their, their framework isn't mechanics and fuel and, and tires and rubber. and it's, it's the understanding of how a consumer buys. And one of the key points of my career has been helping companies, sales and marketing, align around the customer. Sounds obvious, right? Well, it is obvious, but without a framework to do it in, you don't really understand the practical how-tos of it. So there was this wonderful bit of research that I was introduced to by probably somebody you should introduce, uh, interview as well, same as Blair Enns. Um, oh, yeah. He, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know Blair. Yeah. Okay. He's got a new book all about pricing, but it's mainly for agency folks. So it didn't really make sense for, for my listeners. But uh, if there's any uh, agency folks out there, you should really check out Blair Enns' book about pricing. Blair introduced me to this book called Prochotchka, Norcross, and DiClemente, and it was the research, Changing for Good was the name of the book. These three scientists studied behavioral change, and they identified what is called the transtheoretical theorem of behavioral change. I'm not going to spell any of that for you. If you're interested, get on Google. Uh, you can buy a used copy paperback. It's worth reading because it's about people. It's, a, it's around understanding how people change. And by trans-theoretical, what they did is they studied everything in the universe of, of behavioral change, of, cognitive, of cognition and cognitive thinking relates to change as it relates to change. And they compressed it, compiled it into six steps. And these six steps are things that we all go through every time we make a change. It's an incredibly powerful structure. 
the aha moment is not just that, because that sounds somewhat like a sales cycle, right? You've gone to clients, they've got their sales cycle set up. Um, if you, if I'm going to set up your sales cycle, it's going to have six stages. If I go into a client that has 36 stages, I can put them into the framework of these six stages. Mm -hmm. And so that's neither here nor there, except that it gives me an understanding of where the buyer is, right? The salesperson's the driver, but the buyer is still in control of that buying process. They get to move forward. They get to not move forward. They get to look at alternatives. They get to decide to just look at yours. Mm -hmm. All of that comes together in this framework. If you, it's about quitting smoking, but if you think about it as marketing, you go, whoa, this is incredible. And I can now put a buyer in the decision value chain in that series of steps, and they identified nine different processes that work at different stages in the buying series. And that the aha is that there's two processes, for example, that work in stage one getting you to move to stage two. Those two processes have no impact on anything else in the buying decision. If I'm asking for proposals and I haven't bought yet, those first two processes have no impact. But guess what we do as marketers? We tend to create awareness. And then at the next stage in buying, we create more awareness and we create more awareness. It doesn't progress. This book outlines, and yes, this is the secret to my career. It's the secret to the website. This is what I'm teaching on the website. I want everybody to use this. It radically changed the way I can help people. And I want every business owner to have it. We're going to take a break here so I can talk about one of my favorite things, single malt scotch. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018. I'm going back this September to Cleveland for this awesome conference, and I'm looking forward to meeting more of you just like I did last year. That was so much fun. I'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. The workshop is Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers. If you're a manufacturing marketer and are able to attend, I just want to warn you, when this workshop is over, we may end up having to rush you to the emergency room at the Cleveland Clinic because you are going to be at risk of overdosing on so many awesome practical, actionable marketing insights that are going to grow your manufacturing business and boost your career. To get the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock another $100 off your ticket price. That's right. That's $100 you can then spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. But enough about that. Let's talk about scotch. If that rock bottom price to attend Content Marketing World isn't enough incentive, here's one more. When you register using promo code marketing book, there's also a bottle of scotch in it for me from the nice people at Content Marketing World. We're talking win-win here, people. But now let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you feel bad about that. Well, you can still send me a bottle of single malt scotch. Seriously. The mailing address is at marketingbookpodcast.com. Do it. But let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you're thinking, well, Douglas, I like your podcast, but I'm just not yet ready to send you a bottle of scotch. But I would like to show my appreciation for what you're doing here. 
I've got you covered too. Here's what you do. First, pour yourself a drink. Have two. And then go to iTunes or Apple Podcast, as they call themselves now, and leave a one-sentence review for the Marketing Book Podcast. And then message me on LinkedIn and tell me which one is yours so I can raise a glass and toast your review and your good taste in podcasts. (laughs) And now, back to the show. Let me quote from the book here. To borrow a NASCAR analogy, the salesperson is the driver. The driver is only going to be as successful as the design of the car, the fuel, the mechanics. A study of the track, competition tires, metallurgical design, hydration, quality components of parts and external tools like jacks and refueling tanks, and even meteorological expertise. Everything that goes into competitive racing. Marketers are the ones who assemble the team. Talk about the alignment of marketing and sales. What are some of the flaws that derail sales? Oh, you know, typically based on this science, this framework, what we see is the either there's gaps or barriers. And by a gap, what I mean is you're moving down the progression of buying and there's some information you need. You want a chance to do a trial. You want to, to test something. You want to hear a review. You want to learn more. But there's not that, that information that you need isn't there. Mm-hmm. Or a barrier. A barrier is when I'm moving down the path. Well, really, even salespeople, as you're going back to your wife buying a car, your wife had to go out of town. <laughs> you know, that's a barrier if you're having to avoid something. So we can identify where is the buyer not getting what they need, What's the, where, the, where are they not getting the information? And, and the key is this framework serving as the center that allows sales and marketing to be aligned to each other because the customer is sitting in the middle. You can go through on the website, I give you the tools uh, to go through and identify and audit your own sales processes and behaviors and your marketing tools. And you can identify where there's gaps. The most common, to answer your question, the most common error is everybody thinks most sales problems are awareness problems. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. You and I, Doug, live in a B2B world primarily. So we have a little bit easier time explaining that later stage, longer decision-making cycles, maybe a 12, 18-month decision-making cycle that involves different decision-makers and influencers. We can usually convince somebody that more awareness is not the problem that was causing the lack of revenue. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned is there's a lack of alignment between sales and marketing. And there was another line where in the book on, this is page 81 for those playing at home, uh, I wrote the words yes with two exclamation points. And you wrote, all sales forces have some kind of sales funnel or cycle they use to organize prospects in a buying journey. But how often do marketing and sales collaborate to peg communications tools and strategies to each specific buying point in the process? So you you touched on this issue of change, which again was, was so interesting. And there was another book on the podcast called The Science of Selling, where David Hoffeld explored how the human brain makes decisions. And then translated that into how sales should be done based on how the buyer makes decision, not how the sales force wants to Right. And it it was like these six whys. And the very first one was, why change? And for you, for me, for most of the listeners, I think our biggest competitor is the status quo bias. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
this six-step process, which, as you mentioned, uh, came from uh, getting rid of addiction, but it had to do with making change. And these six steps, and the first one is one that I think a lot of marketers skip over, and it's what you call unaware. So in other words, there's unaware, and then there's a few steps below that, which some people might roughly equate with top of the funnel, uh, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. But could you start there at unaware? And this is one thing that, yes, in fact, this is a refinement we're going to be making. And I'm particularly intrigued by the unaware because, believe it or not, I actually went back to some other books that have been on the podcast just to read up on uh, this issue. Uh, one of them was The Challenger Customer. It really brought that one back for me. I will. Well, in fact, I'll give you a membership to the Sean M. Doyle Discovery Video Series. It's oh. two and a half hours of learning that you can use and apply it to your team. And it breaks down. We don't have two and a half hours right now, correct? <laughs> well, we can go as long as we want. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting oh. because it had to do with... How do you shake someone out of their belief? In other words, at the top of the funnel, it just seems like so many people are are skipping this over. You you know, the people are maybe they're uninformed or they're they're just unaware that they even have a problem. And that seems to be a big part that's skipped by a lot of marketers. If you're selling a consumer product and you say, gosh, you know what, well, we've got this great unaided recall. That's marketing talk for people are aware of us and they they know what we do. If I'm a, a bank, everybody knows the bank's here. But now what? The gap, the awareness is not that you exist. The gap is how does something matter to you? And that's what you're talking about, Doug. It's it's the how do I get out of the status quo? And the biggest thing we focus on is helping identify the awareness of what matters to me and how can it change my life? We're working with a group in Washington, D.C. that provides internships to college students. Well, sounds pretty easy, right? You know what an internship is. You know what they do. You know where it is. The trick, I think, is going to be there. We're early in the process. But I think the outcome of having done an internship in Washington, D.C. at the State Department or at Lockheed Martin or Boeing, the outcome of your career, the the trajectory of your life, that's what's going to change. So let's not talk about internships. Let's talk about the outcomes. How could how would it be matter to me? You know, there's a an economic theory that says the number one rule of economics is what's in it for me. Uh, and that's true in B2B. That's true in consumer. It sounds crass, right? It's a me society, me generation, but If you can move the awareness conversation from knowing something exists to knowing how it matters to me, now you've got a really powerful marketing message and a sales message. And listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast, when they're not listening to the Marketing Book Podcast, they listen to the radio and they all listen to the same station. And it's actually the same station that all their customers listen to. It's WIFM. What's in it for me? So yep. now we, we, I promised we'd talk about Elvis, and uh, I've only had one other author uh, on the podcast who is from Alabama, and we actually published his interview on Elvis's birthday. So I want to ask you to talk about Elvis, but in the context of where you talk about if the B2B purchase journey is search-initiated and social-powered, then what should you be doing to garner attention? And where should it lead? How can you manage your internet-related investments and set expectations? Sean M. Doyle, what does that have to do with the king? <laughs> well, one more Alabama moment. 
before we talk about Elvis, we are the home of Muscle Shoals, where much, much of the great movement of rock and roll in the 50s occurred in, in Shoals' fame studios. And Elvis recorded there as well, of course. So everything is Alabama-centric at some point, Doug. You've got to understand that. And I should add that the other author is Mac Collier, who wrote Think Like a Rock Star. And Elvis certainly was that. So traffic leads and customers tlc right mm-hmm. uh, tender love and care and if i could sing i'd sing it for you but mm-hmm. i can't so yeah and as a community service to my audience i will not be singing either perfect that's good we are amazing how we're serving them <laughs> it, the framework of the the behavioral change the unaware all the way through to exchange relationship and advocacy those those six stages we were referring to mm-hmm. They apply here to traffic leads and customers. And you can look at the idea of a sales funnel and boil it down all the way to web traffic. And that's the the T, the web traffic, because of that anonymity of the website, the, the anonymity of the Internet as a whole, your your people, your buyers are 80% at least are going to be on there researching, looking, and learning. The goal of all this talk about inbound marketing and conversions and click-throughs, and that is all about getting somebody to identify enough with you to ask for some information that you might give them. Now, that's actually a really interesting subject because the world's changing now with some new internet privacy policies and even the philosophies as relates to Google and the way that they're doing search. A lot of people are allowing that content just to be all available and I don't even have to give my name or email to get it. So there's two different philosophies. You probably want to explore the values of each model, the gated content versus the free content. But either way, those leads, at some point, you're going to talk to a salesperson that might be walking in a store that might be calling a sales rep because as you move into later stage buying, you're going to need more information about what would this look like for me to buy it in the B2B. So that's that lead. So it doesn't just because you can't get a lead on a website, any, uh, it doesn't mean your leads are dead. And then finally, that's where that salesperson, that NASCAR driver salesperson is orchestrating and coordinating all of this. Marketing has, has provided the sales force with as much information, as many tools to overcome those gaps and barriers to satisfy the customer's needs. And, and it could be all kinds of things. It could even be brand support at that point. Like, do I really want to buy this product? Can I trust this brand? Well, yes. So that's where that customer converts. And then finally, the once you're a customer, we all seek advocacy. We want our company to love us. Now, the behavioral science on this is really, really interesting. They did not identify a consistent way to create advocates for, of customers. Once your behavior has changed, that you can't make somebody be your advocate. That person can choose to be your advocate. And in fact, the way we measure advocacy for our clients and for ourselves is if we get a referral that we didn't ask for. Too many sales programs ask, Doug, go call your customers, get them to give you three names, and then you're going to call, you know. In the book, you talk about the necessity of catching a customer 
bringing you yeah, another exactly. customer without looking for a reward or without them having been asked. Let me just ask one last question about the book. I think it'd be really helpful for a lot of marketers out there. And that's uh, as it relates to content. So you produce content and you get more traffic, you get more leads, you start to get more customers. I see a lot of companies that think, okay, we'll do everything except the website part. <laughs> it's just, they're missing it. But as it relates to content, can you explain what you mean by the 90-10, 90-10 content rule? Uh, I think the first thing as we look at content is to remember one thing, and you can't just write content. You have to write content first in the view of the prospective buyer, second in the view of your competition, because if you're saying the same thing that they're saying, it's just more noise. You have to write content in the view of your own company. Are you really good at it? Because marketers can convince people of stuff that you're actually not that great at. And then finally, you have to look at content and write content appropriate to the sales cycle. So the content that creates awareness is different than the content that I need when I'm contemplating. It's different from the content when I'm preparing. But 90% should be what? So the 90-10, it's a, it's a great question. It's a definite difference between the North and the South. And since I've lived both places, I can I can see it. In the North, you keep your crazy people and you, you tuck them, members of your family, you know, the ones that are just a little off. Mm -hmm. You tuck them back in the back and maybe the back porch. Well, that's what the attic or the cellar's for. <laughs> exactly. In the South, we put them out in the front porch, right? We're proud of them. Uh, they put them on the front porch with upholstered furniture. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, when a person, I, I share that to say, when a person talks to themselves, we call it crazy. When a business talks to themselves, we call it marketing. Excellent. It's crazy. We can't, businesses talk to themselves all the time. And to looking at that voice and my creative director at my company is the one that told me that, uh, that joke the first time. And it's so true. Often we'll look at professional services are fairly easy to pick on here. You can look at, and it's natural. If you're an accountant, if you're a lawyer, if you're an engineer, you're so deeply, or if you're a marketer, if you're so deeply passionate about what you do, that's what you talk about. Well, guess what? None of our customers ever hired us to do marketing right? They hire us to help them solve sales and marketing problems. Mm -hmm. They hire us to help them create revenue. So to sum up, the 90% is the amount of content you have should be about your Customer. customers and 10% should be about yourself. And I think that's a great litmus test for a lot of companies who they say, oh yeah, we produce a lot of content, but almost all of the content is about themselves, and I don't think they understand that. So I'm going to steal that, that along with many other things from the book where I'm going to say, well, but are you following the 90-10 content rule? Oh, what's that? 90% of your content should be information that's going to be helpful for your customers. So, Sean, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Oh, marketing is an incredibly powerful business tool. And in the book, I have learned the framework that I can apply. If I'm a one-person company, a 25-person company, a 200-person company, I can use the same exact framework. So now I've got a way to look at marketing, to leverage it as a business tool in a serious way that will get the results that I've always struggled to get. And even if I hire somebody else to help me, if they don't have a framework to work in that matches this, because this is behavioral science, this isn't my crazy stuff, 
then I'm probably not working with the right person. Yeah. This is one of the most practical books that I've read, and we've really only scratched the surface because you've even included, like, let's say you're going to hire a marketer. These are the four questions you should ask that marketer. And every marketer should read that and understand kinds of things they should be thinking about. And uh, I think you even mentioned before we started recording something about the publisher said, he read the beginning, uh, David Baker read the beginning of your book and said to you something like, oh, so you're pissed off. (laughs) Exactly. I am not angry at the people. I believe the people can do so much better. And I'm reminded of uh, my, my college English professor, Sarah Palmer. And she was this little tiny woman sat behind this big wooden desk. And, and of course, your chair out in front of the desk was really small. So she sat above you and you ended up just straight on eyeballing this wooden plaque. And this wooden plaque said, you can do better. That's a great takeaway from the book is you can do better. But I think the biggest problem is companies don't understand what they're capable of doing now. And that's, yeah, as long as you and I are working, we're going to be explaining that. Business executives are smart. They're just not trained. Yeah, they're just, exactly. They're not trained oh, for the task. They're not bad people and they're not stupid people. Far from it. But they don't have the framework. And it's almost like a while back, uh, one of my buddies from college who's the CEO of a manufacturing company, he called me up and he said, Douglas, what, what, what is this marketing thing? <laughs> what are my people <laughs> supposed to be doing? What matters and what can I ignore? And in 45 minutes, we had this conversation. He was like, oh, thank you. I mean, he was a very sharp CEO and he understood what was important. And it was almost as if, I think it was a similar kind of reaction to people who will read this and say, oh, got it. I understand you've really separated the signal from the noise. So, Sean, what books have inspired your work and career? The one that was really the big trigger for me on understanding the internet, and this book is probably dated a little bit at this point, but the principles are 100% true, and it's Avinash Kashik, uh, Web Analytics 2.0. Yeah, you mentioned him wow. in the book. Yeah. Just powerful book. Just made the the idea of analytics and, and what Google's doing so practical. Great book. Uh, I, I'm very, very interested in cognitive marketing as a result of this study and seeing the application. And you know, you look at cognitive economics, and you have to read Dan Ariely, Predictably Irrational. Oh, yeah, incredible book. Incredible. Richard Thaler is another one you need to read some of his stuff. But Dan Ariely, Predictably Irrational, is amazing. Uh, he really deals with price anchoring and some of the concepts that that every listener to this podcast could make money with, just by understanding price anchoring. The last book that is not a marketing book, but it's making a profound difference in my life because of one single word, accountability. Uh, Gino Wickman has written a book called Traction. Oh, yes. It's one of those books you read and you go, yeah, that's so simple. I would wake up in the morning at home and my mother would have a sticky note on the door with my to-do list for the day. And I checked it off. And I had accomplished what I needed to get done for the day. Yeah. Somehow, Gino Wickman has done this for a whole business. <laughs> it's wonderful. And, you know, I think may, we may have been separated at birth, uh, Sean, because that is all these books and so many things in your book you talk about. I've, it really resonated with me. And that one, I know, at least in the agency world, which I know we're talking a little bit about in this episode, so many of my agency principal friends have read Traction and, and benefited enormously from that. One thing, I've, I've taken an offer for your listeners. I've taken his framework and built something very similar oh. that an executive could use for an internal marketing department. 
where you establish your objectives, your three-year objective, one-year objective, your initiatives, your quarterly goals, and it gives you a measurable way to, to know if marketing is accomplishing things that are relevant to achieving the business's objective. Oh, wow. It's not on the free side or anything, but if you reach out to me, I'll be glad to share it. Well, related to reaching out to you, Sean M. Doyle, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, the website, seanmdoyle.com. And uh, it'll tell you about the book. It'll offer all the free help. And uh, really, the key focus is this video discovery series and giving executives what they need to manage marketing. And the same set of videos will work to equip Maybe you have somebody who's underskilled in that marketing role. This would be a great way to give them a jump start and do better. Or if it's somebody who is talented, then this would be a great way to teach a framework that you can have a common language. You know, that's part of that sales and marketing alignment problem is just creating a common language so people can talk and yeah. know what each other means. And I think it would be helpful if marketers would stop talking marketees and stop talking about marketing activity and talk about things that are more revenue-based for the uh, for their brethren in the um, in their organization and sales. So Sean M. Doyle, we're also going to include a link to your company's website, fitzmartin.com, and on Twitter, your B2B advisor. That's a great Twitter handle. If uh, listeners are on Twitter, please reach out to Sean and thank him for being a guest. If you want to add me to the conversation, I'm Marketing Book on Twitter. We're also going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile, Sean, so folks can uh, connect with you. And if you, as the listener, are listening on your your smartphone, you subscribe to this show on your podcast player like Apple iTunes or Google Play Music. All these links can be found by going into this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes. The name of the book is Shift, 19 Practical Business-Driven Ideas for an Executive in Charge of Marketing but Not Trained for the Task. The author is Sean M. Doyle. Sean, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, I've gotten so much value out of listening to your podcast and you. It's, it's a real treat. Thank you for having me. And that closes the book on episode 183 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Content Marketing World 2018, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and get the absolute lowest price on attending. Go to contentmarketingworld.com and use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK. There's also a link to Content Marketing World at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome David Burkus to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Friend of a Friend, understanding the hidden networks that can transform your life and your career. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.